All right, welcome back, everybody. Today is two really important medications. They're the contemporary MDD drugs. That's uh, really mixed depressive disorder or significant depressive disorder or major depressive disorder, situational depression, anxiety. Maybe it's PTSD. There's a list of indications with these drugs, and we've gone through them. We've gone through uh, the MAOIs, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, tricyclic antidepressants, the follow-up, the um, the quadricycle antidepressants, or the uh, uh, 1970s, 1980s evolution of tricyclics to finally the serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors. That was followed by serotonin norepinephrine receptor inhibitors. Okay. So these are really now the most common antidepressants. Take a little while to work. SNRIs are a little faster. Uh, the SNRIs um, follow the timeline after SSRIs, and it uses two mechanisms. SSRIs use more of a singular, but really it's, uh, it's a little bit of a gray area. So th- this is the situation. We needed some drugs with less side effects. The side effects for MAOIs. It's a dog. I'm outside in my uh, special studio. So we take it like it is, and uh, <laughs> I don't mind being outside with the dogs. I uh, really enjoy being with them. And in the springtime weather, I mean, the birds are chirping. All right, dogs taken care of. Back at it. So the SSRAs um, evolved into a really good option over MAOIs and uh, TCAs and some of the later evolutions of the TCA. But when they came along, there was uh, a lot of uh, trepidation. People didn't know exactly what they would do. They didn't seem to work because it took them so long to work, sometimes up to five weeks. And only about 40 to 60% were significant responders. Definitely, uh, we could say they were probably safer. Uh, The ultimate problems you can get with these SSRIs and SNRIs, too, is serotonin syndrome. That's uh, rapid heartbeat. That's very dry mouth. Sexual dysfunction was reported male, female. And um, there was, I mean, there was there was good and bad, as a trade-off is always with any drug. Of course, the traditional everybody's, I call them everybody's, dizzy, headache, nausea, vomiting. Um, and weight gain was seen, probably due to uh, dietary uh, alterations, dietary changes. But um, these drugs blocked the reuptake of serotonin. You know, what does that mean? Well, the TCAs, MAOIs, etc., 
they blocked serotonin reuptake. They probably had an increase in dopamine. TCAs are kind of understood, but no one really still has a good grasp on exactly what they do. Um, and we started noticing over time these uh, SSRIs were associated with some types of bleeding. So you had to be careful with uh, the anticoagulants, clopidogel uh, like uh, Plavix and Warfarin, um, NSAIDs, uh, aspirin, etc. You had to kind of be careful. Warfarin is Coumadin. Um, and it, it, there was this other odd thing that seemed to show up that I think was important. I don't know what it was. It was it the depression that le- led to uh, suicidal ideation, especially at risk uh, adolescents, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, etc. Or was it the drug? Well, I don't know. We found, as clinicians, we were moving drugs around. So citralopram was really the first one around. And in younger people, you could take up to 40 milligrams a day, probably in divided doses, and it was recommended by the FDA. Anybody over 60, cut it back to 20. Well... I think most people push it a little further than that. Um, and um, then we started noticing that there were probably some ab- abnormal arrhythmias or heart rate uh, changes had to do with uh, sodium potassium channels and that sort of thing. And also, a lot of people were taking over-the-counter drugs, um, these uh herbs and the like, and they are drugs. That they have bioactive effects are drugs. So we had to kind of be careful of those. SNRIs came around in the 70s and like. So the timeline is of the 50s, uh, MAOI, and then in the uh, 60s, 70s, TCA, etc., evolved into SSRIs, SNRIs, or or selective um, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. And that would be the effectors, venlafaxine, that worked uh, both on, uh, well, probably worked on all three, norepinephrine. Oh, that was an osprey. It's beautiful. Um, uh, Norepinephrine. It worked uh, dopamine, most likely. And it was very effective and we found that if you had problems with one SSRI you could kind of switch to another and a number were uh, in evolution and same with SNRIs and then along came I have to say one of my favorites uh, and that uh, being Cymbalta and it it changed people's lives. I think what was recognized pretty early on is norepinephrine had a lot of pain-modulating effects. So did dopamine, probably serotonin. And so these drugs had uh, potential for fibromyalgia-like symptoms, situational depression, anxiety, PTSD. Anxiety. We talked about anxiety and uh, depression as uh, PAD, uh, you know, pain, addiction, depression. And so, actually, this uh, Cymbalta, um, it got uh, it got uh, labeled by the FDA, fibromyalgia, headache, etc. Cymbalta is a trade name, by the way. Uh, 
So in the early 1950s, I told you it had to do with antibiotics. Ipronizid came along, and it was to uh, treat TB. It was an antibacterial, but it was found to have psychoactive effect because it was a mood alterator. These people became kind of happy. They had um, enhanced mood effects when they were taking it. They, they became more gleeful, I guess. What it did is it inhibited the enzyme MAOI, or monoamine oxidase, and hence uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Uh, so it kind of started it all on. Uh, breakdown of serotonin and dopamine was felt to be effective to treat situational depression and anxiety. And then there was a big push in the uh, 80s, 90s about norepinephrine, which led to SNRIs. Um, the phenylethylamines, and it, it, uh, it was less so with dopamine, but it really did help serotonin and norepinephrine. Uh, so we have these drugs that are very effective, and I think that we have to look beyond just the very straightforward effects, and we have to look at receptor technology and understanding the physiology of receptors that being the histamine receptor, H1, and others that these drugs are effective on. The sodium channels, that affects the heart. That's how something as simple as sodium, can, don't think it has anything to do with a salt shaker. It has to do with how you handle sodium in your body. And these things called alpha-1 and alpha-2 adrenergic receptors. So it gets kind of complicated, but that's how the effect of these drugs go as they're in evolution, and we're understanding them more and more. This thing that makes at the cellular level stuff happen is called a G protein, and uh, it just starts a cascade of events that uh, causes transcription of uh, messenger RNA and the like, and then elaboration of these physiologic uh, active chemicals. So they affect certain parts of the brain. I've, I've said this many times. You can take somebody that's using cocaine and slug them in the face, and it doesn't hurt them at all because at the locus ceruleus, a part of that brain, or the lateral tegmentum, the locus ceruleus is full of norepinephrine with cocaine and other drugs, and it just, it, well, it's a mood enhancer, but it, it, blunts pain and it blunts the response to pain so you know there's lots of places these drugs work we've got to be we got to be very mindful of these drugs working at multiple places in the brain but to the best effect therefore we're going to say that ssris and snris uh, are not only effective for us to treat situational depression and anxiety, but they probably have a spillover effect on pain. So that's the important thing to know with pain, addiction, and depression. What works outside of the box or what works kind of in the gray area where we can kind of bend it a little, bend it like Beckham, and and get a response. Even You know, if it's off-label, I've heard that 50% of drugs are used off-label to affect Tricyclic antidepressants were used in fibromyalgia and sleep for a long time. Musculoskeletal pain for a long time. They weren't necessarily approved for uh, that type of indication, but they were used. 
and they were effective, and they helped with sleep. Restorative sleep capacity is key to not only incorporating memory, getting certain parts of the brain working there, but also uh, to get you to stage four sleep and keep you out of alpha-2 intrusion, which interferes with your ability to feel good when you wake up and you get kind of like in that funk, that fibro fog. Most people with fibromyalgia describe it's because they don't sleep well. You need that sleep study. Okay, so um, SSRIs, SNRIs are key drugs. Uh, you know, talk it over with your healthcare provider. Do not stop these drugs abruptly. They have to be appropriately managed in a healthcare delivery system somewhere by ER, outpatient primary care or somebody that knows these drugs uh, and understands their side effects their side effect profile is very similar uh, to most of these drugs and if you're having side effects it doesn't necessarily mean they're a failure it just means that we maybe can trade one in for another and get around some of the side effects the ssris and snris have a pretty good uh, safety profile but people do have problems, and so you got to take the global uh, presentation of your healthcare problems into account. So talk it over with your healthcare provider, take in your notes, take in your side effects, and understand you got to give them a chance. It's going to take a little bit of time. So we're uh, constantly reviewing different drugs that I think are important. They're going to come along. They're going to get more effective, um, have more rapid onset. Uh, They're going to be more targeted toward certain types of depression and certain types of better understood um, situational depression and anxiety uh, mechanisms, PTSD, uh, and Uh, help with sleep and ultimately pain, addiction, and depression. So I don't think I've ever met anybody, as I've said this, that um, has had chronic longstanding pain that hasn't had some situational depression and anxiety. So these drugs have an effect, and they have an effect on pain probably because they treat globally. Pain and chronic pain is not one thing. It is a uh, response to an important physiologic mechanism, be it one or be it many, and it is manifest in what you are, how you feel, and it's completely individualized. Don't think that one person has the same pain as another. So comparing pain, I'm comparing this, I'm comparing to relatives and that sort of thing is is important to get a common language, but it's not necessarily the begin, it's not necessarily the end. You're a unique individual, and be that person. So keep keep good notes, talk it over with your health care provider, and, and um, be patient with these drugs. It's coming. It's coming. This, this whole thing is uh, working itself out. But as you can see, it's taken decades to get where we are. Um, not a bad thing. I'm... I'm happy to use these medications to treat pain. I think that they really do help minimize escalation of controlled substances. They really do help with sleep. And they really do help people get around, think better. They're able to do more on a functional standpoint. Remember Rule 5. And 
they are um, embraced by many folks, used uh, as one of the most common prescriptions in the world. And then, you know, they're in the, I think they're in the top 20 uh, in the United States. Uh, I know SSRIs sit in the top 10 a lot. But um, I think it's also a testament to their uh, utility, usefulness, and safety. All right. So, you know, send any questions to us. Uh, We'll be happy to answer them and jump on uh, different uh, podcasts, uh, period. I think the best thing that uh, we're doing here is uh, continuing the awareness about pain. Uh, And we're going to advance further into the understanding of addiction and brain uh, processes uh, and take it one step at a time because that's what it always is one step at a time so okay as always it's a pleasure and I hope you've heard the birds not just the dogs I'm, it's beautiful out here and y'all um, keep in touch thanks bye <laughs>